0: We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily. Today is Monday, December 4th, 2023. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about some box office news and then look ahead to the first half of the movies that are coming out in 2024. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film staff writer and box office analyst, Ryan Scott. Hey, everyone, how's it going? All right, Ryan, I'm excited. Uh, you know, we talked about this. We, we sort of teased this in previous weeks about getting together and going through a bunch of the movies that are coming out next year. So we're going to do that uh, in a little bit. But in the meantime, tell me about the big box office stories from this past weekend. What what are the things that uh, that I and the rest of our listeners need to know?
1: Uh, yeah, totally. So uh, one thing to keep in mind here is that uh, the, the post Thanksgiving frame is typically one of the slowest weekends of the entire year. Um, so, you know, you're not going to generally have a lot of stuff pop off, uh, but, uh, Renaissance, a film by Beyonce, which is the Beyonce concert film we've been talking about for weeks now, largely because of what, uh, happened with Taylor Swift, uh, debuted at number one, uh, which as we thought, so it opened at $21 million domestically. And that is actually the first time a movie in the post Thanksgiving frame has opened to more than $20 million since Tom Cruise's The Last Samurai. Uh, which is pretty amazing. So oh. that's good news. Uh, yeah. So so you know, um, like we thought, it didn't do quite as big a numbers as the Taylor Swift film. Heavily weighted domestic uh, opened to six point four million internationally, but that's twenty seven point four million for a, a movie that uh, I believe I've seen the budget figures cited in like the the fifteen to twenty million range, similar to the uh, Taylor Swift movie. So. You know, I mean, this thing will be in profits before you know it. And, you know, again, AMC theater is distributing directly. So your largest theater chain in the world is getting a, a boost of revenue that it could sorely need. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I see I fail to see a downside here. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's and it, and the film has like an A plus cinema score. Critics like it. So it's not like some, you know, terrible movies getting, you know, like it's it's all like I just see nothing but positive here. Yeah. Um,
0: i saw this yeah. movie last night and i was really blown away by it like it's so much more of a i mean we talked about the taylor swift movie when that came out and that is much more of a um just sort of like a representation of what it feels like to go to the concert and this because it has the actual like behind the scenes stuff just feels so much more personal and intimate and like re- revel- revelatory about like getting you inside beyonce's head a little bit and um sort of helping to illuminate some decision-making and just showing like the dedication that she had. I mean, anyway, I'll, I'll talk about that probably on like what we've been watching later this week, but uh, it's a very, very impressive movie. So
1: yeah, this struck me as more of like Taylor Swift did that Miss Americana movie for Netflix a couple of years ago. This struck me as closer to that. Um, but anyway, regardless it's, you know, that's, that's, it's, it's all, you know, that that's your winner and, and it's a good thing. And I think we're probably going to see more stuff like this happening where uh, theater chains might start, looking to specialty programming like this to distribute, you know, uh, outside of the studios. Mm -hmm. And that'll be one of the big things to look for next year.
0: So what other box office highlights do you have?
1: Uh, Just real quick, we don't need to talk about this too much, but The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes continues to hold pretty well. Uh, Only dropped 50%. Uh, It's coming up on 250 million worldwide. So it should easily get to 300 million worldwide before it's done. Maybe closer to 350 if things go very well. Uh, against a hundred million dollar budget it'll do just fine for Lionsgate but not really enough to probably make like a whole trilogy or anything like that um the big surprise of the weekend was Godzilla minus one a movie we talked about uh, on uh, last week uh, I, I believe it was and uh yeah it made a little over 11 million dollars um uh in its debut which is incredible that was way above what uh, uh industry expectations were. Um, And it is the actually the the biggest debut ever for a live action Japanese movie uh, in in the United States, which is pretty amazing. Um, It it did very well on premium format, like IMAX screens, uh, which which helped. Um, and, uh, it's already done well overseas, made $23 million overseas already. So it's, you know, a little over $34 million. Um, the budget for this is $15 million, which is having seen it is shocking. That said, like, now I sort of took this into account when I posted about this a little bit, but like, you know, this was produced by Toho. So it was produced in Japan. So like their labor standards and things like that are different than like when you're making a movie in Hollywood. So, you know, like your visual effects workers, things like that. You're able to do that much more cheaply. Um, You know, so that $15 million budget can't necessarily be compared to like your average studio blockbuster, Mm -hmm. but it is still shocking, you know, that, that the movie was made for, for that amount of money. And um, the main reason I bring that up is because the financials are what they are for Toho. You have a $15 million movie that is already at $34 million worldwide. It is had been, has been met with near universal praise by critics and, and audiences alike. Uh, it is, it, it, it is being submitted, I believe for a best international feature at the Oscars. Like you're, you're looking at like, not just like a good movie, like a very acclaimed film that is now doing breaking through financially. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's good. It's the type of thing, much like the Renaissance film by Beyonce. Like it's this specialty type of programming that we weren't necessarily expecting that is doing well and bringing people to theaters at a time when they could use it. So I'm, I'm, and I loved the movie. I don't want to get into it too much, but so, you yeah. know, that was, that was the other big thing for the weekend. And, uh, last but not least, uh, the Marvels fell off a cliff, dove another 60%. It fell out of the top 10, um uh it's now sitting at just shy of 200 million worldwide. Disney will no longer be reporting figures for the movie going forward, meaning they're not expecting it to make much else and it is officially going to finish its run as the lowest grossing MCU movie ever. Wow. Um yeah, so, you know. Uh look, I'm not, I don't want to like pour salt on an open wound. It's a bad situation, it's an unfortunate situation. Lots to be said about the MCU moving forward and the state of superhero cinema, but you know uh, the Marvels yeah. did not rebound it's It's just a bad, bad bet, but that's about it for the weekend. Uh, happy to answer any questions you might have, my good friend.
0: No, I mean, I think that's it and and I'm actually excited uh, you know, after hearing that bad news to potentially dive into what could be a um at least a- <laughs> maybe some hope for a little bit of a better uh, situation moving forward into next year. So I think the best way to do this might be to like go through January, February, March of next year and then take a break and then we'll come back and do April, May, June. And then like later on next year, we'll come back and do like a a summer movie preview uh, and look ahead that way. So I don't want to like overload people with, um, with all the movies that are coming out for the entire year next year. But I know for me, this exercise of like, going through the list and looking at what's coming was actually very helpful to me personally for like setting my expectations of what the year is going to look like. So uh, hopefully we'll be able to provide that service for people too, by laying it all out here. So um, I want to note that people might hear some keyboard clacking in the background as we go here. Because I did not share this list ahead of time with Ryan. I'm going to be asking him some box office questions and stuff as we go. So he may be doing some research on the fly and you may may hear that in the background, Uh, but hopefully it'll be all worth it in the end. So, and I'm one of those monsters that has like a very clicky mechanical keyboard. Like I, I,
1: I, like I, I, uh, I, I am satisfied exactly. by that click. The exact um,
0: wrong type of keyboard to have for podcasting, Ryan. <laughs> it is the
1: exact right wrong type of keyboard to have for podcasting. Uh, but and I also type like uh, like I'm mad at the keyboard, so I apologize. But, uh, but,
0: okay, yeah. so uh, so let's get into it. So January, uh, January fifth, we have Night Swim which is uh, basically a, a killer pool movie from Blumhouse, I think. Uh, on January 12th, we have The Beekeeper, which is the Jason Statham action movie that you and I are very much looking forward to. We also have The Book of Clarence, which uh, is James Samuel's new movie. I'm excited about this one. It stars uh, Lakeith Stanfield, and he's the director of um, The Heart of They Fall, the Western that came out on Netflix a little while back. Uh, The Mean Girls musical also comes out on January 12th. And then on January 19th, there's a sci-fi movie called ISS. The trailer for that actually just came out earlier today. It's like Ariana DeBose and a bunch of people uh, on the International Space Station. There's like an American contingent and a Russian contingent. And then uh, nuclear war breaks out on Earth below them and they have to figure out how they're going to coexist on this space station as they're you know way up above everything else uh on january 19th as well um ava duvernay's origin is coming out which is an adaptation of a book uh by isabel wilkerson called cast that's a very very good book and then on january 26th there's a film called underdogs ryan with two g's Uh, which is about uh, a former NFL player who agrees to coach a young football team in order to avoid going to prison as he tries to relaunch his career. And the football player is going to be played by Snoop Dogg. So that's why underdogs with two Gs. Um, What do you see when you look at January of 2024? What do you, what's your takeaway there? Well,
1: let's let's be clear. January tends to be, or at least it has historically been kind of like a dead month for the box office. It's like where a lot of like movies studios don't have a lot of confidence in get dumped uh you know stuff like that it it um so it's not like it's it's historically like a huge month but you do have your situations in recent years where studios have had to look at the release calendar that gets too crowded around summer and go okay where can we put something that you know might give it a shot and that's how you saw like the emergence of like march as a blockbuster month or whatever but like last year uh, or this year, I guess we had Megan, for example, from Blumhouse, which ended up becoming like a huge breakout hit. Mm-hmm. So obviously what you want to look at there is Night Swim, right? Another Blumhouse movie in January with an odd hook. It's like a killer swimming pool. Yes, that is the like what the movie is about. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if that's going to have I don't see the same like nobody's really talking about it. And Megan, you felt like when those trailers came out, like people were like, oh, my God, you know, you just felt that sort of buzz about it. So I think that, you know, like Blumhouse, it could make some money, but I don't think you're going to get that Megan level breakout hit there in January.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't then really you're like, have the then same then meme like, potential.
1: It doesn't. Now what does is like the beekeeper, the Jason Statham movie. But I, but again, I think that's more of a movie where your people like you and me are going to tweet about it all day long. Are your average moviegoers going to go? I have absolutely no idea. And I, and I'm, and I would lean towards probably no. Um, so what I look at is like, I don't think the book of Clarence is going to, it just, I I love the harder they fall. Uh, Like that movie rules, but I don't know if that's like, it's, it seems like that kind of adult programming that has a hard time breaking out. So I don't see, like, Underdogs feels like your standard January movie to me. It's going to play for the audience it plays for. The thing I look at is that Mean Girls Mm -hmm. musical. You're talking about a movie that has absolutely generated generational nostalgia. This was originally supposed to go straight to streaming, but I think because of the strikes, it ended up sort of becoming a movie that got pivoted to theatrical, and I think that was a smart move. I think Paramount actually stands to make some money there. And I think that could sort of be the savior of January. The other thing I wanted to point out, uh, there's a movie called Distant coming out in January as well, uh, unless it gets moved, but it looks like this is still coming out. And that's from uh, Josh Gordon and Will Speck. Uh, They originally, uh, you might know them from uh, Blades of Glory. They also did Hit Monkey. Um, That's going to have Naomi Scott, Anthony Ramos. It's a sci-fi film. Universal Pictures. Who knows? That seems like the kind of thing. Maybe if if the trailer's really good, you know, could could get some, you know, meet and seats. But overall, January. I think if Mean Girls doesn't break out, January is going to be pretty bleak. That's my take.
0: yeah yeah. Um, okay, so let's move into February. We have uh, on February 2nd, Argyle, the new spy movie from Matthew Vaughn that stars Bryce Dallas Howard and Sam Rockwell and Henry Cavill, a bunch of other people. Uh, there's a movie on February 8th called To Win, the number two, which I'd never heard of before, that stars Daniel Bruhl. It's a motorsport drama about the rivalry between Germany and Italy. That'll be interesting coming on the, the heels of uh, Ferrari, which comes out on Christmas. Um, on Let's see. I think that that same time, like the February 8th, and 9th, uh, Lisa Frankenstein comes out, or Frankenstein, um, which is uh, Diablo Cody wrote the script, Zelda Williams is directing, and it's Catherine Newton as a teenage girl who reanimates uh, a boy who died in the Victorian era, who's played by Cole Sprouse. Uh, on Valentine's Day, there's One Love, the Bob Marley uh, Bob Marley biopic, and of course, Madam Webb. And then on uh, February 23rd, there's Drive Away Dolls, which is uh, Ethan Cohen. He's directing this movie I believe by himself for the first time. Uh, Cohen Brothers but once, once and former Cohen Brother I guess yeah. in terms of like the filmmaking team. And then uh, that, that's like a road trip comedy kind of thing. It has a really, really good cast. Uh, and then a movie called Ordinary Angels where Hilary Swank plays a woman who's determined to help a guy played by Alan Richson get a liver transplant for his young daughter. Um, so it Sort of seems like a like a faith-based feel-good type of movie. So, um I mean, Madam Webb is like the obvious uh you know, thing that we would have talked about for the past five years, but like Well
1: Yeah, but I also will say, I don't know if you noticed this, Sony was pretty deliberate in that trailer and in the poster art. Like they did not put a release date there. And I kind of think Madam Webb might move.
0: Okay. Because Interesting. We'll
1: get we'll get into this, but there there is there is that early summer. Window that's pretty bare, and there's also, you know, like some weird crowding going on in in like May that probably shouldn't be happening. So I'm kind of wondering if if there might not be a bit of a spread out situation happening where Sony kind of waits it out to see what the opportune So let's say Madam Web doesn't stick. Okay. Then now, no, I'm not saying it, but okay, let's say the scenario where Madam Webb doesn't stick. February is but that's where I'm like starting to be like oh no because that's the only straight up blockbuster in February now Argyle is an incredibly expensive movie but it, it's Matthew Vaughn working outside of a franchise it's got a huge cast you know you got Henry Cavill, uh, Dua Lipa um, Bryce Dallas Howard Sam Rockwell it's a big movie and I could see that doing well but not like Carry the whole month well. You know, like, so, so I, I it's a movie I genuinely do not know what, what its prospects are, but, but I don't see it being able to carry a whole month.
0: I wouldn't um, be surprised to see Lisa Frankenstein overperform just because we've talked for so many years. It seems like there are multiple times a year where we're like, huh, how about that? Hollywood learning the lesson that uh, making movies for a specific underserved audience is actually paying dividends. And this seems like, you know, oh, yeah. a movie that like, young girls can go and, and enjoy and like especially in that early part of the year when there's not really a ton of uh competition for them um or competition for anyone really or for any you know major movies as we talked about uh it seems like a good opportunity to maybe take advantage of that so i wouldn't be surprised oh, yeah. to see that often,
1: and i much. think we cannot underestimate i think Catherine newton's star power is underestimated and i think cole sprouse gets you to that like the market you want to get to i'm with you i think i could look at that as an overperformer, but again maybe not enough to carry a whole month but um and then the other one you didn't mention and i'm i'm not trying to be funny here winnie the pooh blood and honey 2 is scheduled potentially for february 14th as well now that first movie was not received well but a lot of people saw it and this second one has a much bigger budget the effects like they've already released some some photos and it looks much better i i wouldn't be surprised if that's a movie that that pulls in more than people expect it to i think you're probably going to see some some theaters and some some you know events planned around that so i could see that sort of giving a little pop to february but uh the other one i would look at is ordinary angels which you brought up Uh, a lot of faith-based movies made a heck of a lot of money this year uh and that's something i'm going to write about for us here at some point but it's kind of a like underrated savior of the box office this year was like mm-hmm. faith-based cinema. So, you know, and I think Alan Richson, thanks to Reacher. And so most of you, you're looking at a real, like a, like a guy who has the potential to become an actual movie star. Um, I, I could see that movie again, like overperforming. Uh, yep. Drive Away dolls is one that I, that I'm a little worried about an underperformance there potentially. And uh, the Bob Marley uh, biopic, I'm, I just have absolutely no concept of, you know, if that makes nothing or if it ends up making a ton, like that one could go wildly in direction for me. I really just don't know. Yeah. Um,
0: I mean, like the fact that Bohemian Rhapsody, which seemed, I, I never even saw that movie to be candid with you, Ryan, but because I didn't it's either. so formulaic, but the fact that that movie made so much money has kind of like thrown off my, uh, sensor for being able to predict how, uh, music biopics might do. Because like you said, like, You know, it's another big name music biopic that looks pretty down the middle in in terms of like, it's not really taking many stylistic risks or anything like that. Um, Yeah. And like sometimes those just connect huge and sometimes they fall completely flat. So there's no real way to know, I think.
1: (laughs) Yeah, because even like you look at there was that uh, Whitney Houston movie that I want to dance with somebody. And I think that that was from like even the same uh, producers of uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah and that topped out at 60 million worldwide.
0: You yeah, know what that I mean? And it honestly feels like it never even came out. Like that came out at the, at the tail end of of last year, maybe at the very beginning of this year. And it yeah, just tail got, end it was uh, like December
1: 23rd. It was like the Christmas release and it had a 45 million dollar budget made 60 million worldwide. So like, you know, that I, Maybe the Bob Marley movie does that. Maybe it does Elvis numbers. I have no idea. (laughs) So uh, I would probably lean closer toward that Whitney Houston number, but like, who knows? Um, So, so February to me looks bleak. Uh, Two wins sounds interesting to me because I always think of Daniel Brühl starring in Rush, which is one of Ron Howard's, I think most underrated movies ever. Um, And, uh, you know, another him being in another racing movie, but again, does it come out too close to Ferrari? Like, Gran Turismo didn't do all that great this year. Like I, so I don't know what that, what that does, but yeah, Yeah. February looks rough.
0: Okay. Let's get into March. And I should say, I'm, I'm looking at my, I'm basing my uh, calendar here off of um, what is on the numbers.com, the dash numbers.com. They have like an upcoming calendar. And I think you're, you're pulling from a slightly different source, but you know, most of the stuff is, is uh, either close or pretty close or anyway, it's enough to give people like a general. So, um, On March 1st, we have Dune Part 2. Uh, March 8th is Imaginary, the horror movie from Blumhouse where uh, an imaginary friend starts killing people or something. Um, Also on March 8th, Kung Fu Panda 4. Uh, On March 22nd, there's a movie called Arthur the King, which is not about King Arthur, but is a, a movie about Mark Wahlberg as an endurance athlete who meets a stray dog along his competition journey or something Uh, on March 22nd, there's a movie called one life, which I feel like a total of six people worldwide are going to see because it's a movie about a, british humanitarian who helped save hundreds of children's lives from the nazis and anthony hopkins plays the humanitarian uh, does not really have much blockbuster potential there um, on let's see march 29th there's ghostbusters frozen empire and then also on march 29th mickey 17 the new movie from bong joon ho which stars robert pattinson and Stephen young and it's a sci-fi movie so zooming out and looking at March obviously dune part two seems like the big one to talk about here what do, what are you thinking there ryan
1: uh I think this is where March could secretly be like that month that gives us some hope um uh for you know like it, it, this is gonna be the month like those first two months are gonna be like the industry treading water and like praying for a miracle and then March is gonna come around and you know like I mentioned earlier like March became i feel like it was around like 2016 where we saw March really become like oh man, this is like a blockbuster month. And uh, I think Dune Part 2 is going to be one of those examples of like a sequel vastly outperforming its predecessor. Uh, Dune still managed to make like a little over 400 million worldwide despite being on HBO Max, despite the pandemic of it all. Like people really loved it. And and so I feel like Dune uh, is one of those ones that we can really look to for like, okay, kick off March well. So like just for some context dune opened to 41 million dollars domestic which honestly truly i had no idea how dune was going to do at all um even outside of the pandemic i think i would have looked at 41 as like hey that's not a bad number um so i think we're going to see a much better number than that Mm -hmm. um that that that, that's my that's my guess there
0: yeah and then what about kung fu panda 4 because like how does I have not seen any of those movies but my sense is that they've all made a ton of money is that right You you are correct sir uh so and
1: again these are like a healthy 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 uh international audience which always helps so um uh the the franchise to date with three movies has made 1.81 billion dollars and uh the, the they're expensive but not like crazy expensive uh 130 140 million dollar budgets you know like which again expensive but not like crazy expensive and uh uh so you're looking at the first one made 631 million the second one made 664 the third one made 521 so it's been like seven it'll be it'll been eight years but at that point so there might be enough time for nostalgia to catch up with it um i, I look at like puss in boots the last wish uh you know which uh did, did you see puss in boots by the
0: way loved it loved it loved it
1: yeah, I did too. I was shocked at how much I love. It was one of my most like. I know it was technically 2022 release, but it you know it was late last year. It was one of my very favorite. It, it 481 million worldwide, and they managed to make that for I think 90 million. So I would look to Puss in Boots: The Last Wish is like that might be where the goalposts are for Kung Fu Panda Four, and if it can do that, that would be great. I think if it can get anywhere near 500 million, and they keep the budget reasonable, I think I think you're in good shape. Um,
0: I I know we have a lot to get through, Ryan, but I am curious about one thing. You mentioned that the Kung Fu Panda movies have made a lot of money internationally. um, But I wonder, because China seems to have soured on Hollywood a little bit, if the Kung Fu Panda franchise um, may have, like, you know, if they may be in for a a rude awakening on that front.
1: Well, if you look at, like, uh, I will say, like, you know, the, the, the Kung Fu Panda 3 made... Uh, if I'm looking at this correctly, it's 154 million in China. So yeah, it made a pretty sizable chunk of change. But okay, so let's talk about what I was talking about there. So the made 521 worldwide. Uh, kung fu, kung fu panda three did. And let's say, you know, I, I I'm assuming we're gonna lower the goalposts a little bit. We're not expecting it to make that. I would say if it can make around 400 million worldwide, that would probably be where where it would need to be. So if you just take the China box office out of it altogether, that gets you like around what, 370 worldwide. So if you can just make up that difference a little bit elsewhere, I think you can still be in okay shape without China. Or like even if China gives it a little bit of a box, you know, you could still be around a number where I think you can survive. Um, you know, so okay. so I think it's doable. I think it's doable, but you just have to lower your expectations. Um the other two I think we should talk about real quick is Imaginary, which is another Blumhouse movie with like an imaginary Teddy, te, imaginary killer teddy bear. I think yeah. that's your Megan prospect this year. I think that one could surprise. Um, and then I think, Oscar, you need to talk about Ghostbusters, Frozen Empire.
0: So, I mean, I just have like zero interest personally in the Ghostbusters franchise at this point. But uh, how did what, what was the previous one? Afterlife. How did that perform? And what do you think? What do you think the um, so- the possibilities are for frozen empire so afterlife did well
1: and i think again sony was wise and kept the budget small uh, afterlife was made for i think 70 million and it made 204 worldwide i was at the end of 2021 again the pandemic was a bigger deal um i i don't i, I i'm a little worried one that this one is going to be much more expensive and two that it's not going to do as well So if you have a movie that's like a hundred million plus that can't get to 200 worldwide, that's bad. So I, so I'm not sure, but, but I, but I feel like that excitement, like, like Sony has always wanted Ghostbusters to be like, like a Star Wars type franchise and it just isn't. And I'm a little worried about them sort of making like a 2016 Ghostbusters mistake here. And let me be clear. The mistake of 2016 Ghostbusters was not like, female fronted Ghostbusters, it was way too damn expensive. (laughs) Like, so I'm a little worried Mm -hmm. that, you know, you can make a Ghostbusters movie for a certain amount of money and it can do okay. But I, am worried that they might overspend here, but we'll see. I don't know. Um, and then lastly, like Mickey 17, the, the Bong Joon-ho movie that could be like a dark horse in March, but I don't know what that's capable of doing.
0: Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll probably end up doing a separate episode about like the movies that we're actually looking forward to the most. Um, and this would probably be pretty close to the top of my list or very up there. Um, but anyway, we'll save that for another episode. Uh, in the meantime, let's take a break and then we'll come back and talk about April, May, and June of 2024. At Parker, our purpose is simple we want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, All right, Ryan, let's get into April. Uh, April 5th, we have The First Omen. April 12th, we have Godzilla X-Kong colon The New Empire, one of the dumbest titles I've seen in a long time. Uh, April 19th, an untitled monster thriller by Radio Silence, which is the directing team that brought us Ready or Not and the new screen movies. Uh, I have no idea if that untitled monster thriller is actually going to be moved or stay at this point in the calendar, what it actually even is. uh, We'll have to wait and see on that. And then um, on April 26th, challengers, the tennis movie with Zendaya, that was uh, bumped all the way into April. And then a movie called unsung hero, which appears to be a biopic of an Australian Christian rock family band. So uh, who the hell knows with that? Um, You know, you're talking about January and February looking pretty bleak, Ryan, April looked really rough. Right. And this is where I talk about
1: you look at like Sony, maybe moving Madam Web. This is what I talk about, because I don't think that untitled monster movie is happening. Like I don't we haven't heard about that even started filming. So there's no way Um, I I will jump ahead just a touch to make a point here that May 24th has three blockbuster level movies currently scheduled to open. I am betting the house that at least one of those movies moves. So mm-hmm. I would look at one of them, if they can be ready, possibly shifting to April. Um, okay. Because I just, with how barren this year is, it seems silly to me to open three movies on May 24th because you're going to doom one of them. Yeah. So we'll get into what those movies are in a minute. But that aside, the other thing to point out, the first Omen will be Disney's first wide release in months at that point because it's from wow. 20th Century Studios. I don't know what a prequel to the Omen can do. I I have no idea. It, it, I, it, it, that trailer's good. Maybe it does well. If it doesn't, makes a little bit of money, goes to Hulu. I really don't know.
0: Yeah, um, I mean it's horror, right? And like that's the thing that we've been talking about is like horror seems to be one of the most consistent money makers. But also, it's. <laughs> The, like, what relationship does Gen Z have to The Omen as a franchise? Like, it's got to be less than zero. So, like, why would you try to, especially? Well, truth I don't be know. told, even like amongst horror fans, The
1: Omen is not a franchise that gets talked. Like, the original gets talked about a fair amount. It's not like you know you have like fans of the sequels. Like, the third one's really interesting because you have like Sam Neill, you know, as like a grown-up <laughs> Damien. But like, it's not like a franchise that gets talked about a ton. So, yeah. I, you know, we'll see. But um man, like challengers like Zendaya's is a star and that'll be coming hot off the heels of Dune. So maybe that gets a bit of a pop mm-hmm. unsung hero. Again, we talk about like that, you know, any sort of like faith based connection, potentially like you can make some money there for sure, but it's, we got to, you know, manage expectations of what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously you're looking at Godzilla X Kong to, to like, be the savior that month. Um, mm-hmm. I think we were just talking about Godzilla minus one, uh, getting a, a certain section of the fan base excited. I think that's a good sign. I think, you know, let's not forget that Godzilla versus Kong was the movie that essentially saved movie theaters in the aftermath of the pandemic. That was that first like blockbuster we needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the reception to Godzilla versus Kong was a lot better than King of the Monsters. So I think yep. there's an excitement there. Um, so I think that, like, as silly as that trailer is, and I mean that like lovingly, um, I, I I think that this is a movie that could potentially do well. And and just like again, let's let's go for some context here. Um, Godzilla vs Kong was like the first blockbuster blockbuster released in twenty twenty one, in the aftermath of the pandemic, and it opened to thirty one point six million domestic, and that was when it was the simultaneous HBO Max release it made 101 million domestic and 369 internationally and a lot of that was in China. These movies tend to still do very well in China even post pandemic. Mm-hmm. So I think this is the one where you look at like this could be one of the highest grossing movies worldwide in the first half of the year. Yeah. Um so so that's going to be good. That'll be good, but I think that like you're looking for that movie to pretty much carry the entire month.
0: Yeah. Which is scary. Yeah, it really is. Um, Okay, so getting into May, we have May 3rd, The Fall Guy, which is uh, Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt, and David Leitch is the director. Uh, There's a trailer out for that. Very excited about that one. Uh, May 10th, there's a movie that I'd never heard of before doing research for this episode, which is called My Ex-Friend's Wedding. And this one comes from Kay Cannon, the director of Blockers, which is very funny Comedy and the logline is four childhood best friends get a drunken voicemail from their former best friend on the eve of her wedding day, confessing that she thinks she's making a mistake. So they set out to stop her wedding and rekindle the friendship that they once shared. So uh, Ariana DeBose is in that. Um, Megan Stalter, who's hilarious and Hacks. Uh, Amanda Seyfried is in that as well. Um, so good cast there. Uh, May 17th, we have If from John Krasinski that he's directing this. I think Ryan Reynolds is a voice and it's another movie about imaginary friends. We've got two of those next year. Um, at least two, maybe more, Uh, a young girl can see people's imaginary friends who have been abandoned over the years. That's the, the sort of premise there. And then, uh, the three movies that you alluded to earlier on May 24th, Ryan, you've got Furiosa, a Mad Max saga Garfield, the Chris Pratt, uh, voiced Garfield movie, and then Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. So you're you're thinking one of those will probably slide back into April, hopefully to help alleviate some of the burden that Kong, uh, Godzilla X-Kong will have to shoulder there. Um, but what do you think about the, the rest of the lineup for May?
1: Uh, on a personal level, if I could go into cryostasis till May uh, just to get to Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, uh, I would. Um, <laughs> also, I think, did you not have Deadpool 3 on there?
0: Uh, oh, you know bad? what? The, yeah, I, I totally forgot about that. The numbers did not have Deadpool three there, and I I did not. Yeah. Uh, so
1: is that is that really supposed to open against the Fall guy? Is that what we're looking at here? Because I think that's I mean... that's because uh, the Fall guy I did. Uh, boy, that 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 would be. Oh, you know what it was? Is uh, Deadpool three got pushed to July? I take that back. Ah, that was okay, my, okay. Okay. So that's what I, my bad. Please ignore me. All right. So let's. Uh, Oh hey, Teresa Palmer's in the Fall Guy. That's cool. She does, she doesn't get to do uh... uh. So I just should note for our listeners, just for fun here. Uh, Ben is very excited about the Fall Guy. His entire notes for the movie were Gosling blunt. Hell yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I uh, yeah, that's one I I would like to see do well. I hope does well. I don't know. That could be one of those like, wow, this was expensive and it sure didn't work out. Or it could be like, oh thank God, uh, this semi original thing worked out. Um. Mm-hmm. So that one's kind of a wild card. I will say this uh, my ex-friend's wedding we should not overlook uh, blockers made 94 million worldwide blockers was incredibly well reviewed another like female fronted like quartet movie uh, so I, I I think you know like we talked about we seen with Barbie and some of these other movies you you cater to the right audience it can work out very well. Um, yeah that one was interesting because it
0: had like the split between like a younger group of friends and an older group of friends and there was sort of like uh, gender mixing or whatever in in between there like it was like two women two men or something uh, if I remember right like a John Cena was one of the the John Cena and and,
1: yeah and uh, but yeah so so I think that but yeah so I I think that my my ex-friend's wedding could again like another dark horse type movie in there that that if the trailer is good like you know, you could be looking good there. Uh, if, if I've been curious about, which is the John Krasinski movie, this is follow up to a quiet place. Uh, you know, John Krasinski's coming out. Yeah. Yeah. John Krasinski's coming out party as a, as a director, uh, both a quiet place and a quiet place part two, both massive, massive hits. And, um, I get the sense this movie, because the cast is insane, I get the sense this movie is, like, incredibly expensive. Um, and, I, and I'm a little, like, nervous about it, especially coming ahead of the week there. So, I don't know. It's all going to rely on how good that trailer is and how much star power, like, is actually meaningful to getting people out to see it. Um mm-hmm. So obviously the elephant in the room here is that May 24th date where you have Furiosa, the long awaited sequel to Mad Max Fury Road, which just got a trailer recently, Garfield and Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Um, I think what's interesting is that, like, you know, the Internet will tell you Furiosa is the best bet there. But let's not forget that like Mad Max Fury Road was at best a modest theatrical success, like relative to its budget. You know, like I thought it was like a big hit well let's talk about that for a second so uh i don't like i i fury road is a perfect movie like i, I love that movie as much as anybody it is a it is an absolutely perfect film it made 380 million dollars worldwide against a 150 million dollar budget we've talked a lot about how movie finances and stuff work in its initial release that's not like a gargantuan hit but then it goes on to get 10 oscar nominations including best picture wins a bunch of oscars and it enshrines it itself in action movie history. So I guarantee you, Warner Brothers is thrilled to have this movie in its library. Because what it's made on Blu-ray, cable, uh, at the, at the, at the ancillary revenue for this movie is much bigger than it probably is for most other modern blockbusters.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: as a pure theatrical movie, it was not a gigantic hit. This is an, It was a big hit, a good hit. But So I think that Furiosa has a potential to make more than that. But, like, I think you look at Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, like, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes made, like, $800 million. (laughs) Well, you know, it made almost $800 million. Like, now, War for the Planet of the Apes didn't make quite that much, but you're talking about movies that were very revered and very well. So, I don't think those two going up against each other is a good idea. I think the Mm -hmm. other thing you have to look at is Garfield, Chris Pratt, over and over and over again, no matter what the internet will tell you, proves himself as a bankable movie star. That's all he does. Every single time he's in a movie... For the most part, it does very well. So Garfield animated going for that kid's audience like Garfield's going to be a hit. Like, I, mm-hmm. I believe that. So something's got to move. I think you could argue Garfield is counter programming against one of those other movies. Kingdom's got to move. Furiosa's got to move. I'd like to see Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes maybe go to April. Um, I think Furiosa makes sense as a summer movie, but something's got to move. And I hope one of those does. So that, that's yeah. about all I got there.
0: Okay, so the last month that we're going to talk about here is June, and there's some interesting stuff to talk about here. So uh, June 7th, we have Ballerina, the um, first official John Wick movie spin-off that stars Ana de Armas, and then a movie called The Watchers, which is going to be directed by M. Night Shyamalan's daughter that stars Dakota Fanning, who is playing an artist who gets trapped in an Irish forest, and she is like... Uh, takes shelter with three strangers who are stalked by mysterious creatures every night. So that sounds like a cool, uh, horror concept there. Um, on June 14th, we have inside out two and a bad boys sequel that I don't think has an official title yet. I'm not sure if that movie is even going to hold. I'm not sure what the filming status of it was because of the strikes and all that. Um, And then to round out the month on June 28th, there's Horizon, an American Saga, Chapter One, the first part of the Western uh, movie series franchise that Kevin Costner is trying to kickstart. And then speaking of A Quiet Place, A Quiet Place, Day One, which stars Lupita uh, Lupita Nyong'o, and then a movie called The Horror Scope, um, which is uh, about a a group of kids, uh, one of which is Jacob Batalon, who plays Ned in the Sony Spider-Man movies where they have their fortunes read and this group of kids begin dying in ways connected to their fortunes. So um, yeah. What are you looking at there, Ryan? Oh boy. Lots to talk about. Um, okay. So yeah, ballerina, I
1: think is like your, uh, it's a pretty safe bet. Uh Diarmas Moss is a star. Uh, if you can, I think they're obviously probably going to put some subtitle there. Like, ballerina from the book of John wick or whatever, you know, they're going to do yeah. something to put that John wick branding in there, which I kind of hate that they have to do that, but I also completely understand it. Um, I think that's like, especially if they were able to keep the budget, like reasonable, like say $40 million, give or take, like, I think this could be like a good mid budget hit. I think mm-hmm. the watchers is one to pay attention to. Cause you can put M night Shyamalan's name on there as like a producer, I think. And, and, uh, good cast, good, good intrigue. I think Shyamalan's built up some, nice uh, cachet with audiences uh, again as of late. Um, This is really your first like reasonable summer month though, where like, I think you look at like Inside Out 2 and Bad Boys. That's actually pretty good counter-programming on that date. I think both those are going to do very well. Um, You know, Bad Boys for life was like the, the one unqualified hit we got in like 2020 uh, before uh, everything shut down. Um, uh, I think, Uh, June 28th is another one of those days I look at and I'm like, something's got to move. Like horizon is incredibly expensive. Uh, Kevin Costner directed this sweeping at Western that's being split into multiple parts. And it looks like very expensive. And, and I think that like you need to sort of give that it's absolute best chance to succeed. I think a quiet place day one is a pretty safe bet because those movies have done very well and, and have their audience, I like think horoscope opening on that same day is an odd choice. Cause again, a quiet place is going to go for that exact same audience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that day is a bit crowded. So I think something maybe, maybe move a quiet place to, to six you know, cause you have that week there where nothing big comes out. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, so June is your standard. Like it looks closer to your normal summer month, right? Like where it's like, Hey, here's, you know, I think there's maybe a little bit of room there for like uh, another small or mid budget movie or something, but that's closer to like, Hey, this is a good summer month. We got, we got some stuff here. So I think that's where you start to see the leveling out. Like where, where, you know, post strike you're starting to see like, okay, we can, we can fill out the calendar a bit, but it's those first handful of months where, where like we're, we're, we're really up, up, uh, up a Creek. Uh, But so, you know, (laughs) we'll, we'll see. But um, I'd be curious to see if like bad boys for life, like got that, scratch that itch for everybody and if like bad boys four sort of takes a dip as a result or like you know if it like goes does that like sequel makes more than predecessor thing and similar with inside out Two, like is there enough nostalgia there does it make more does it make less like i you know i don't know so there's a couple there i think both those would do well but it's a matter of how well and then like how well does ballerina do does that open up the gates for an entire john wick universe or like does it just do well enough where it's like okay you know maybe we don't you know, squeeze this out too much. So, mm-hmm. you know, it'd be interesting to see how that all shakes out. But yeah, that's that first month I look at and I'm like, all right, this is closer to normal, closer to what we like to see
0: cool okay so we have uh right before we go here i have a listener email from charlie from salt lake that i wanted to read um she says with sundance and the subsequent film festival circuit coming up could the lack of finished films for 2024 be a possible winning point for independent slash lower budget films i'm thinking along the lines of studios wanting to cushion their profits without doing a lot of the work do you all think the studios even care or are they okay to make less uh lesser profits than what they made in 2023. And basically just coast until they can regroup after the strike related delays. I'm really hoping this might help some film festival darlings see the light of day beyond going straight to VOD or getting lost on a streaming service. So what do you think about that, Ryan, in terms of like, now that we have the snapshot of all these movies that we just broke down, and we can see there's a ton of room for, you know, other holes to get plugged, so to speak. What do you think about You know, this being like a potentially big acquisition season, uh, you know, incoming for studios just to get like product out there for people.
1: Uh, Let me address the first one of the parts of the question, which is that are the studios comfortable to coast and make less profit? No, (laughs) like that's bad for the quarterly earnings reports. Wall Street responds poorly to those things like that's not that they're certainly not comfortable with that. Um, I think possibly I think Sundance specifically, uh, because you look at that's January. So the the thing is, if you acquire a movie, you still need to like, you know, maybe you need to re-edit it. Maybe you you need to launch an entire marketing program around it. You couldn't realistically get something out, like buy something in January and have it out, you know, in February. That's not really how that works. Uh, I don't really know what the like record for like the quick turnaround there is, but like generally it's months. Uh, so, so you might be able to see like a a Sundance acquisition maybe out in early summer, like, you know, that, that's possible. And then, you know, especially in the second half of the year, you sure. But again, what we're looking at is like that first half of the year is where it's barren and I'm not sure. And now again, if you see, if, if, if some, something comes out of Sundance, that's like, oh man, like, you know, this has some real potential and there's like a desperate studio out there and they're like, can we like, you know, throw a brick on the gas pedal and get this thing out there by March or April? Maybe, you know, Mm -hmm. so, so, but I do think it does open up the door because there is less product in 2024 to, to potentially have some of those acquisitions. But like we were just talking about, you got AMC theaters out there now and these other, um, you know, theater chains that, that can distribute now, like that's a thing. So you could have AMC send a buyer out, to these festivals you could have cinemark you could have regal hell you could have the alamo draft house although they own neon so it's like a you know but but Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean you could have the the you know that that's a thing i would look to for sure and and as we saw with the taylor swift thing they can do a quick turnaround you yeah, know, so I'm so like, so
0: curious if they're going to go that far, because that's like blatantly antagonizing their own um, business partners in the form of the studios, you know, and like the they certainly antagonize them in terms of like doing the Taylor Swift thing and the Beyonce thing and like distributing that on their own. But like, how far are they willing to go in order to, you know, like how, how mad are they willing to make these studios? <laughs> and, and well, it's you know, a curious situation because, you know, like this what the studios can't, Exist
1: without AMC theaters, like it you know. So, so I think that, like, you know, that's a really That's one of those things that, like, as long as AMC is not out there, like, acquiring like blockbuster projects or something, I think that that might just have be have to pill that the studios kind of have to swallow, like, yeah. I, because because what you can't just say we we're not going to work with the world's largest theater chain. That's not how this works. Yeah, you know. So obviously, I think you don't want to piss people off too much, but if if you know, AMC makes an offer on a small indie that does well for them. I think that's just something the studios are going to have to deal with. Uh, that's my take on it. I could be wrong. That could be ignorant of some information, but that's kind of how I see it. Um, yeah, I mean, so- AMC has
0: had like a lot of... Um- financing, finance troubles and stuff, you know, there's been a lot of talk about bankruptcy and things like that. So like, you know, maybe the situation is slightly more tenuous. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you make some good points there. So uh, yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to say, it's a very curious, like, you know, period right now where like, they've kind of taken that first step and I'm just willing to, I'm waiting to see how far, how many more steps they take in that same direction, you know? So
1: yeah, I am too. Um, and so. again, like, but again, I don't think like, like if you saw like Skydance putting together some, gigantic, you know, project, you know, where they were like, you know, our our bid on this is, you know, like, we need $75 million minimum or whatever. And AMC goes and like, we'll fund this project or something, then that's an issue. I think like, if they go, okay, here's this movie at Sundance that might sell for $10 million, and they get in on it. And again, I think the studios have to just suck a lemon on that one. But you know, again, that's just, <laughs> uh, but you know, again, that's, I don't know how correct that is. That's just the way that I kind of see it.
0: Yeah, gotcha. Okay. Well, yeah, Sundance is coming up, uh, end of next month, end of January. So, um, we'll have coverage for, mu- or for you from that festival at slashfilm.com. And I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode. You can find more about a lot of the stuff that we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com. You can, uh, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe to this newsletter that we have. Uh, Chris Evangelista writes that every Friday. There's a link to subscribe to it directly in the show notes, so you can check that out there. Send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at bpearson at slash Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Tell your friends. Spread the word. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you all tomorrow.